Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 13. And today we're going to be taking a look at one of Jesus' parables found in verse 24 to verse 30 and then explained in verse 37 to verse 43. That parable is uh, referred to as the parable of the wheat and the tares often. I want to talk to you about uh, from that text. I believe it has a lot to say to us and uh, it reveals the mind of Christ and uh, it helps us to better be equipped and ready to be used of him in Jesus' name. Well, here's the parable in summary. Jesus is in Matthew chapter 13, he's giving a lot of parables. This parable of the sower, this parable of the kingdom, but he's explaining the kingdom and he's using stories to do that. And one of the stories he tells is the one we're looking at. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes and sows seed, good seed in the field. And then while men were sleeping, uh, an enemy came in, an enemy of his, and sowed tares into the field. And they both began to grow. And at some point, when the wheat sprouted, the tares also sprouted. And the servants of this man noticed that there were tares among the wheat. And so they were surprised, and they came to the owner and said, Sir, didn't you plant wheat? Where did the tares come from? And the owner said to his servants, An enemy has done this. Say that, an enemy has done this. And so they asked the owner, Well, should we go ahead and remove the tares? And he said, No, because... Uh, there's too much risk that if you try to remove the tares, you will end up also uprooting the wheat. So leave them alone for now. Let them grow together. And at the end of the age, or when it's harvest time, I will give that assignment to the reapers or the harvesters, and I will instruct them to first gather all of the tares into bundles, bind them, and burn them. And then they should go and gather the wheat and place the wheat into my barns. So Jesus told that parable sometime that day. Later on during the day, it seems like the disciples were wrestling with what does he mean? What is he trying to tell us. And so finally, because they couldn't understand it, they, at the first opportunity, said, Master, please explain to us the meaning of this particular parable. And that's where in verse 37 through verse 43, would you go there, please? Jesus begins to explain the parable. And Jesus says, in verse 37, he says, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
the harvest is the ends of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burns in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Please keep on going. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here in this parable, Jesus talks about an enemy, an enemy who came in and sowed tears or bad seeds, weeds, among the wheat which the owner had planted. And when the servants asked what was the explanation or the reason for the presence of the tares, Jesus said, an enemy has done this. And then in the explanation, Jesus told us very clearly who the enemy is. He said, the enemy, the one who sowed the bad seeds, is the devil. Now, some people are too sophisticated to believe in the devil. They believe the devil is simply a manufactured um, evil superhero. Something like, uh, who's one of these superheroes? Um, huh? Okay, Spider-Man, although he wasn't evil. Give me the name of one evil. Is that an evil superhero? Huh? Okay, whoever that is. <laughs> but, but they feel that we religious folks have simply created the idea of the devil, manufactured the idea of the devil, but that the devil does not himself exist. He's not real. And they seek to find a natural explanation for everything, that everything ought to be explainable purely through natural means and through scientific methods. And all problems are rooted in, in, in nature. They, they're unable to accept the presence of anything supernatural. Even some who do believe in God refuse to acknowledge the devil. They feel he's simply an imaginary uh, creature. But that clearly wasn't what Jesus taught, and that wasn't what Jesus believed. Jesus believed in a real devil. Proof, he cast them out. Uh, you hear me? Now, we know there are extremes, and there are groups that go to the other extreme where everything is the devil. Whenever there's a problem, the first thing to do is behind the devil, rebuke the devil, fast 40 days, cast out the devil, behind the devil again, rebuke the devil, cast the devil, fast some more. <laughs> and their whole life is nothing but warfare. Uh, but, 
And so they go to the extreme where they become so preoccupied with the devil that the preoccupation itself becomes demonic. And the enemy actually uses that to oppress them, to keep them from walking in the freedom and the joy of the Lord and in the victory which they should have in Christ. And so we need to be aware of that and we need not to fall into that trap. But neither should we go to the other extreme where we try to explain away the devil altogether. And this is not just happening in so-called liberal uh, uh, churches uh, or among unbelievers. Many of us Pentecostal Christians are getting educated now. Amen. We're going to school. We're getting the degrees. We're being exposed to a lot of the same stuff that is being taught in all of the universities. And many of us are coming away from that, beginning to question the encounters in Scripture and where Jesus or his disciples are dealing with devils. And we try to say, well, they didn't have a language for it. They didn't know all of these theories we discovered. So that was just a a simplistic way to explain what was happening. But now that we know better, we ought no longer to be taking those examples literally. But here's the truth. Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus thought the devil was real. Amen. Jesus cast out devils. And the fact is, whether you believe it or not, Satan is real. And the Bible warns us about him. We believe the promises of Jesus, we should also (laughs) take his warning seriously. Amen. The scriptures tell us that the devil roams about like a roaring lion, looking, seeking for people who he may devour. That means that he cannot devour everybody, but there are some people who are easy for him to devour. And one of the things that make it easy is they are ignorant of his devices. All right, so we ought not to be ignorant of the devices the scripture says. The Bible tells us he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. That's real. And it tells us not to be, be afraid of him, but not to ignore him either. We're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That means embrace what God has said concerning Jesus and the victory of the cross. Submit to what the word says concerning our victory in Christ. The power of the blood, the power of the name. Amen. The presence of the spirit. You are of God, little children. And you have what? Overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. These powerful truths. Christ has spoiled principalities and powers. Made an open show of them. We are to know what God has said. Don't be ignorant. Humble ourselves. Submit to. Embrace. Believe. All that God has said concerning the victory Christ has won over the enemy. And then armed with that truth, which is our spiritual armor, the scripture says we are to resist the devil. And he will do what? Flee from us. Don't ignore him. Don't be afraid of him. Humble yourself. Embrace what Christ has done for you. That's your spiritual armor. And then resist the enemy. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. And the scripture says he will flee. But Jesus tells us here that the enemy is real. And the explanation for the presence of the tears is that the enemy did it. And you know, 
the, the, the servant said, didn't you sow good seed? And, and that's a question that we ask, maybe not in the same way, but we do ask that question. We say, God, you're good. We know you're good. God, you're love. We know you're love. You're too good to do wrong. You're too right to be bad. You're too powerful to fail, right? We know God is, God is, and then we look at all the evil. We look at the suffering. We look at the pain in the world and in the church. And we ask the question, God, you're good. God, you're love. God, you don't do these kinds of things. Why is there evil suffering in the world, in the church, when, when we know you are good? And the short answer is the same answer Jesus gave. An enemy, not God. Don't blame God for the evil that is in the world. When he created this world, he said it was good. Pastor McKee, hi, I didn't see you. Amen. He said it was what? Good. He created all things good. And all things would have remained good if the enemy had not shown up and deceived Adam and Eve into rebelling against God, into sinning against God. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The reason for the pain, the suffering that is in the world today, that we even as Christians experience, an enemy has done this, not God. Never say, God, why did you do this to me? He didn't. Hallelujah. And so we know the identity of the enemy. We know in this particular case, Jesus says, while men were sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed tears. Uh, the devil is, is not sleeping. When we decide we're going to take a spiritual nap, a nap, spiritually, we're going to Take a break from prayer. We're going to take a break from the word. We're going to take a break from the fellowship. We're going to take a break. The enemy doesn't take a break. Are you hearing me? While you are napping, he is working. Again, that's why we're told to be watchful in prayer. That's why we're told to always have the shield of faith. Amen. Now, you rest physically. When I'm telling you stay up all night physically, you can't rest. No, no, that's the extreme. You need, to, you need to, 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 to rest physically, but spiritually, always be alert. Amen. Always be trusting. Always be, be believing. Always be depending. Amen. Always be being led by the Spirit of God. Are you hearing me? always being watchful spiritually. And so while men slept, the enemy came in and he sowed tears. 
Now, who are or what is or what are the tares? Jesus tells us. He says the tares or the bad seeds, he says they are the sons of the wicked one. Now, remember I told you Matthew chapter 13 has all these parables. In the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus talked about how the seed was the word and the sower sowed the word and the seed started to grow and then the tares also grew and the tares choked the word and they didn't bear fruit. And in that case, Jesus said the tares are the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. So sometimes Jesus uses the metaphor differently to make a point. The point here, though, is that the enemy wants to stop you from bearing fruit. The enemy wants to stop us individually and wants to stop us as a people from bearing fruit that would glorify God. And he will do everything he can to prevent the word of God from taking root in your life because the word of God takes root in your life, the word of God will cause you to become fruitful. And so sometimes the way he tries to stop you from bearing fruit is by distracting you with the cares of this life the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. So be on your guard against the enemy's strategy when he's trying to keep you from the word. But that's not the only thing the devil does. So Jesus has given us some additional insight into how the devil works. He says, in one instance, he's trying to choke the word of God in your life by distracting you, using the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. You're so involved in that, you no longer have a place for the word. The word of God is no longer a priority. You're not studying the word. You're not meditating the word. You're not implanting the word in your heart, in your mind, in your mouth. You're not doing the word. If he can get you distracted from the word, he can keep you from growing up, maturing, and bearing fruit. But that's not his only strategy. In this parable, Jesus says another strategy of the enemy is to sow tares among the wheat. And then he tells us this time, the tares are not the deceitfulness of riches or the desire for other things. He says the tares are people, sons of the wicked one, who he plants among us in order to interfere. And this is why he does it in order to interfere with what God is doing with his people, in his people, among his people. I know you're not meditating if you're closing your eyes, so keep it open. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's the focus of this parable, is, is that the enemy has agents called in the text, sons of the wicked one who manifest and who produce or who are tears in reality, but who outwardly are imposters 
who look like, they adopt our liturgy, they adopt our language, uh, they adopt our looks. They're among us, but they're not of us, said John, First John 2. Do you hear me? That the enemy plants intentionally, purposefully into the church, into the world, wherever God's people are. He plants these stairs. He plants them in your homes. He plants them in your family. He plants them where you work. But most of all, he plants them in the church. And he's intentional. He's strategic. Why is he planting tares among us? Clearly, to interfere with what God is doing with the wheat. To hinder the wheat to prevent or limit the growth of the wheat to rob God of the glory that he receives when the wheat flourish spiritually and when he cannot stop you altogether he seeks to delay he seeks to kinder he seeks to make it harder for you to be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do and to bear the fruit God wants you to bear for his glory. When the servant said, Lord, should we remove the tears now? And the Lord said, no. Leave them for now. Let them grow together. And so here's the reality. There will always be tears among the wheat until the end of the age when the angels will come and Jesus says at that time there will be a separation and the tares will be gathered, will be bound and will be burned in what Jesus called a furnace of fire. I don't like the reality of hell but hell is a reality. Jesus says it. And I don't want anybody ever sitting under my in, my, in the ministry God has given me, to ever doubt the reality of hell. Jesus said there will come a time when the tares, the sons of the wicked one, and who are these sons of the wicked ones? They're the ones that have his nature. Uh, and they're the ones who are willing to be used of him, willing to serve him in exchange for for pleasure, for uh, possessions, for power. Uh, the Bible says the day is coming when they will be gathered, they will be bound, and they will be burned. Now, that's not a scare tactic, but it's scary. And if you're not scared to die without Christ, <laughs> You ought to be. 
Did you hear me? If you are not scared to die without Christ, you ought to be. Because Jesus tells us, not yet, but there will be a time at the end of the age when the tears, those who do not have the nature of Christ, those who have not been born again, those who are not the sons of the kingdom, will be separated from the sons of the kingdom, will be bound, and will be burned. If you're here today, and you have not yet received the gift of eternal life, if you have not yet been born of God, born again, if you have not yet become a son of the kingdom, you have time. Today. Now. You may not have it tomorrow. So take advantage of the opportunity. In fact, I believe one of the reasons that he have allowed the tears to continue is to give them time to be saved. Somebody says, why doesn't he just deal with all the hypocrites of the church? And all the tears of the church. Right now. Well, what if he had done it five years ago? Or ten years ago, you may have been among them. Hopefully you're not still among them, but if he had done it. <laughs> so thank God, he, he said, wait, because he gave you a little bit of time. So you can get saved. So God is patient. God is not willing that any should perish. So one of the reasons he's waiting is so that you or you or you who are here today or you who are watching, who have not yet received the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, might have time to do it. But this door will shut. This opportunity will not last forever. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. And saints, those of us who Jesus calls the sons of the kingdom, we have a responsibility to share this gospel because that's the only way men will be saved. Don't be quiet. Open your mouth wisely and lovingly, but share this gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't keep your mouth shut any longer. Satan is real. Hell is real. Satan is busy. And Satan has instruments, sons of the wicked one, through whom he is working to interfere with God's plan for your life and God's plan for the church. He doesn't want us to grow up he doesn't want us to become mature. 
He doesn't want us to bear fruit. He doesn't want us to be the instruments God can use to advance his kingdom in the world. If he can't stop it altogether, he'll do his best to hinder it and to delay it and prevent it as long as he possibly can. Don't be ignorant of his device. But thank God, the devil is not the only one sowing seeds. Say hallelujah. Because this parable said that the son of man, you see, he was the initiate. He's the original seed sower. The devil just imitates. The devil is a counterfeiter. Everything God does, he tries to counterfeit it. So he offers a counterfeit love, a counterfeit peace, counterfeit joy, counterfeit marriage. He's a counterfeiter. But the original seed sower, planter, is the Lord Jesus himself. Say hallelujah. And so while we just told you the devil plants his seeds and their people, Jesus says that the sower who's planted good seeds is the son of man, Jesus himself. And he tells us, he says the seeds, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Now hear me. Maybe you've never called yourself that. But you were the ones Jesus was referring to. You who have believed in the king. You who have bowed your heart and put your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And with your heart you have believed the glorious gospel. With your mouth you have confessed him as Lord and have surrendered to his lordship. You now are the sons of the kingdom. You are the seeds of the kingdom. You are the children of the Father. And Jesus says, and watch this, he says that he has planted you. No, no. There are two reasons why you're here right now in the world, and there are two reasons why you're in this church. One is natural. It's because your mother and father got together whenever they did some years ago. That's the biological and scientific explanation that you're alive today. You're in the world today, and you're in the church today. But there's another reason that you're here. It's because the sovereign God, who is working out his plans for the world and for the ages, who has times and seasons in his hand, for his own reason and for his own glory, determined that at this time in the history of the world, as he is unfolding and doing his work, you were to be born, but not just born, planted. Planted into the world at this time. Remember Esther? When when they were plotting against the Jewish people to destroy them. Mordecai came to his niece and said, if you are quiet, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, God will raise up someone else. Deliverance will come from someone else. But Esther, you need to remember this. How do you know you were not brought into the kingdom and given this place in the kingdom as queen 
For such. Say for such. A time. Like this. Now I'm talking to you sons of the kingdom. You are not here by accident, incidents or coincidence. You are here because God. And only God knows why. He's the one who sovereignly determined to plant you and sow you into the world at this time among this people in this age when all that is happening is happening. When there's such rebellion and there's such uh, worldliness, when there's such rejection and when there's such uh, evil that is being perpetrated at all levels when those who once stood up for morality no longer do. God decided to plant you into the world and into the church. You were not just born. You were planted by God into the kingdom, into the world for such a time as this. You are a seed. And when a farmer plants a seed, he, puts, he does it because he knows the seed has in it the capacity to grow. The power to reproduce. The ability to be a blessing. God has planted you in the kingdom if you are a son of the kingdom. And he has put in you like he puts in every seed. The life of his son, the power necessary for you to grow, mature, and bring forth fruit for his glory. The type of fruit that is needed at this time in the kingdom, in the church, and in the world. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to keep you from bearing that fruit, fulfilling that kingdom assignment. You and I need to make some decisions. You and I need to make some decisions. I said you were not just born by accident or coincidence. You were sown. You were planted. God intentionally put you in the world at this time. He intentionally put you in this church at this time. In order that he might work through you at this time. To advance his kingdom at this time. To bear fruit at this time. To make a difference in the world at this time. Not in 1900, and probably not in 3000, but now. 
And what does the enemy want to do? He wants to interfere with that. He wants to distract you. So Lord, should we remove the tears? No, no, no. Let them grow together. So what does that mean? It means practically, not only will there always be the tears among us at church, at home, at work, wherever you are, you're going to have all kinds of things and people interfering with God's plan and purpose. But what Jesus is saying, that it is not your job or my job to go around trying to determine, okay, tear. Mm, you look like a tear. And decide that we're going to uproot them. Jesus said, leave them alone. I'll take care of them. Don't do anything that will hinder or harm the wheat. In other words, you be concerned about being who God has called you to be. Amen? Doesn't matter who's around you, what is around you, what is happening, the forces that are working against you. He says, you know what? Don't worry about them. You be weak. I planted you. You focus on being who I made you to be. You focus on doing what I put you in this world to do. You focus on being an instrument through whom I can bear fruit. You focus on being a person through whom I can advance my kingdom. You focus on who I have called you and made you to be. You are the son of the kingdom. You are the son of the father. My life is in you. I place you in this world at this time so that I can manifest my life through you so that men may see who I am in you and through you. And so you can be an instrument by whom the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and our King. So what are you going to do? Uh, you can keep focus on being what God has called you to be. Taking root. Being rooted. Being real. Let them be fake. You be real. You know? You focus on being rooted, being real, being righteous. Reproducing. After his kind. Reflecting his nature, his character, wherever you are. Don't allow them, whoever them is, or whatever them might be, to cause you to become distracted. 
God's kingdom agenda is too important. God's purpose is too great. The assignment upon your life is too, too awesome for you not to make it the reason you get up every morning. The reason you do what you do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? So I've, 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 I've given the invitation to all of you. If you are not yet in the kingdom, listen, if you're not scared of dying without Christ, you ought to be. Hell is real. Receive Jesus now. Amen? Those who are sons of the wicked one are those who do not believe with all of their heart. And because they don't believe with all of their heart, they have not turned from their sins and placed their trust in him as Savior and Lord. If you have not yet believed in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and, and surrendered to him as Lord of your life, wherever you are, do it. Open your mouth. Express the faith of your heart that you believe that he died for your sins that he rose from the grave. He is Lord and he's coming again. And then with your mouth, surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. Then you will become a son of the kingdom and he will plant you in a local church. He will plant you in different places in the world to be an instrument by whom his kingdom will advance. Those of you who are here, embrace this reality. Come to know this truth. You are seed, you are plant. God has planted you in the church. He has planted you into the world to work through you to advance his kingdom. Stay focused on that. Stay faithful to that. Don't be distracted. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Father, we thank you that you will take this word and you will use it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right.